1: Welcome to Lama Das's Awakening Now podcast. This podcast is an expression of our shared connection. We depend on you, our community of listeners, for support. Please go to mindpodnetworkcom suryadas and you can either click on the donate button or bookmark the Amazon link. We get a small percentage of all of your purchases or you can go and sign up for a free trial with audible.com. Your support will allow Lama Suryadas to continue to illuminate the timeless Tibetan wisdom.
2: When I was in India, Nepal, uh in november and december i heard a story about one of the great living old Dzogchen masters really one of the two greatest living old zogchen masters Dodrip chen rinpoche who lives in sikkim who has a center he visits every two years in western mass in Holy mass the Mahasiddha center the great Dodrip chen tukutunda rinpoche's guru and a lama um, asked him as he's an old master Some call him His Holiness. He has tremendous respect in the Himalayas and around the world. What was the essence of his teaching that, you know, after such a long lifetime of practice and teaching and training and philosophy, Buddhist philosophy and epistemology and mysticism and tantra, etc., and being a refugee, and being a parent, and grandparent, and, and abbot of a monastery, and so on. And he thought about it for a moment, and he said, just keep on going. Keep going. And that really impressed me, considering you know the many things he could have said at length, or lists he could have given. And that's our practice. Practice is perfect, we just do it. Not makes perfect, so one day we'll be there. It's kind of like playing the piano. Not just practicing for a performance one day, but we're actually playing. When we're practicing, we're actually playing, not losing sight of that too. So that's an example of swooping while climbing, how we keep going, being there while getting there. Practicing is playing not just practicing so one day we can play, and enjoying the joy along the way. The journey is the main thing, as so many have said, not just the goal. So in this Chen tradition, it's often called aimless, goalless, signpostless or mile markerless, great perfection. Not ten or eleven Bhumis, like in the Bodhisattva Path to Buddhahood. Ten or eleven stages, grounds, levels, Bhumis in Sanskrit. But one Bhumi, dzoghva one stage, one level, all flat, equal playing field, one taste. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. Nowhere to go and nothing to, no one to get there. Nowhere to get. Thus, no obstacles and no obstacle makers, etc. There's a lot of profundity in this. And yet, there seems to be some kind of attention or intention, motivation, and some kind of effort to be made. So we're not paralyzed. Spirit is ecstatic, not static. The flow flows. It's not just frozen in place like a frozen river or ice cubes in a tray. Flowing. Energy ever-flowing, changing, transforming. Cycling, however you want to look at it. Breathing in, the universe breathing in and out. The macrocosm and the microcosm inseparable. The individual person or being breathing in and out. The yin and yang inseparable, turning. Yet the still center remains unmoved. The axis, not the axle, the axis of the still center. The eye of the storm remains unmoved. That eye, that transparent eyeball we can identify with, as well as the entire turning wheel, the whole universe. So in the zogchen practice, we're not waiting or hoping for enlightenment. In the view of things as they are, the consummate great perfection, as it is, the natural state, things as they are, the view, cultivating clear vision, the meditation, getting used to it, maturing that view, being able to just appreciate it all as it is, not trying to purify, transform, add, or subtract from it, and so on. There's no waiting or hoping. There's no comparing or competing. These are what I call the 20 deviations from the view in Dzogchen meditation. Of course, in life, you might be waiting for a train. There's no dishonor in that. You might be hoping for something to happen. You know, hoping for—I don't know what's important to you—hoping uh, for the Red Sox to win the the pennant, or for once in a century. But in the Dzogchen meditation, no goal, no hoping, nothing to win, no win or loss, as we heard yesterday from Christopher's Dharma talk, I believe the day before, it all runs together in my mind. The eight worldly winds, the eight pitfalls, the eight worldly winds that drive us off course, that blow us hither and yon, the eight potholes on the path, pleasure, and and they come in four pairs, pleasure and pain, loss and gain, praise and blame or criticism, and uh, the other pair. (laughs) What? Fame and shame, or, or, or uh, sort of fame and uh, anonymity. Not being so motivated or blown around by these eight worldly winds that blow us around. Just present, not hoping, not hurrying, not comparing, not competing, not collecting, not judging. All of these things that deviate from the view in Dzogchen non meditation. not reacting, not controlling or dominating, just allowing things to proceed unhindered, not interfering and manipulating, not being discouraged, not being elated, not just going up and down like a human yo-yo, like a drug taker. Not just visiting the heaven, but living in heaven. There's a difference going beyond the duality of heaven and earth. Not just trying to get high all the time and then coming down and wanting to get high again, even through meditation, fasting, yoga, or prayer. Or for that matter, enlightenment experiences. Those are just experiences. That's why I always say it seems easier these days to get enlightened than to stay enlightened. (laughs) If you use that term. To have an epiphany than to live in that way. To be it. Not just seeing God or heaven on some drug, or through fasting and and, uh, hyperventilating, but actually living there, being God, being divine. Not just visiting, like a human yo-yo or LSD taker. So not getting overly discouraged when things are not going your way, or the meditation doesn't seem good, or you're on a spiritual plateau, and not being overly elated or excited when things look good. Who can judge anyway? Everything is so subjective, so mysterious. There are so many billions of karmic forces at work. Who can judge? I always say, if we knew everything there was to know about any particular thing, we'd probably have quite a different opinion about it. You know, if we knew about all its origins and implications, not just the little that we know with our uh, view through a straw most of the time. Looking at the sky through a straw. Oh, it's infinite. Yeah, it's infinite. But that kind of infinite is a little different than infinite from the top of Mount Everest view, without a straw, if you see what I'm saying. So not imagining and fantasizing... Not over-idealizing and not projecting. Oh, look what the other people are doing. They're all having a great retreat. They're all like living Buddhas. They're all old students. They ask such sophisticated questions. I shouldn't ask my own stupid practical question like about my knee pain or back pain or home practice. You know, not imagining. You know how it is. You're sitting there meditating, minding your own business for a moment or three. And then... The comparing mind arises. Where somebody moves, or something, you get distracted, and you peek out of the corner of your eyes, and you see some other eyes there, and you imagine, oh, I feel like shit. Look at these living Buddhas all around; they're having great meditations, and I'm just like a pile of shit in a corn patch. <laughs> covered with maggoty thoughts and worries. That's just another thought. Enjoy it. And who knows what these other living Buddhas are doing. They're peeking out of their eyes too, I'm sure. Oh, look at, look at her. She looks good. And you're feeling like shit, but from the other point of view, oh, she looks good. Let's have a zogchen romance after the retreat. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so not over-idealizing or projecting. And not giving into hesitation or self doubt or your habitual personality traits like, oh, I can never do it or I can't do it or women can't become president or women can't become enlightened or whatever, or I'm too old to do this, I wish I had met this when I was young. I mean, that's a common thought. Who knows how long we're going to live? Who knows how long it takes? Who knows what your past is in this life or others? Who knows? And not grasping at these things and fixating on concepts or happenings or ideas. Not judging and and, and over-evaluating. There's a time for judging, especially if you're a judge. Also in life, we have to make decisions, we have to judge and make choices. But in this, we're, not, we're taking the other side of it. We're using the Teflon side of the mind, just letting everything just slip away as it does, just slide off. Not the sticky flypaper side that collects information and puts it together. The Teflon mind. The Teflon aspect of it. That's the practices of allowing, of letting go, letting be of watching the impermanent arising and dissolving proceed without manipulation or interference, judgment or reactivity. Karma really means reactivity. And last, not letting go too soon, for example, of discipline, of effort, of relative practice of studies and things that you need to support what you're doing so you know what you're doing. Not just throwing rocks in the dark, hoping to hit something. And not letting go too late. Not carrying the raft after you've crossed over the ocean of suffering. Not carrying the raft on your back and having what they call Zen, the stink of enlightenment. Not letting go too late. Not holding on to childish things not holding on to some state of arrested development where you decided when you were 15 or 20. Now that you're 50 or 70, you know, you might want to review some of those habits and decisions. So this is what I call the 20 deviations from the view. You can, I'm sure, add some of your own. 20 deviations from the view in zogchen meditation. Of course, in life, you might very well have to do some of these things, but in Dzogchen meditation, according to the view, getting used to the view, it's more about non-doing, not grasping, not analyzing, and so on. In life, you may very well, in, in ordinary, you know, day-to-day life, you might very well profit, benefit by analyzing rationally and clearly, and step by step and linearly using the. Left side of your brain, but in this, perhaps it's more like shifting over to the right side of your brain, just intuitively grokking it all at once, not linearly working it, trying to work it out. So, how do we practice this meditation? We have the view meditation and the action and results. How do we practice this meditation? One of the greatest pithy instructions. Of the tradition it comes from the first great Jamgon Kantrol Rinpoche, 150 years ago, who wrote the uh, five treasuries, a great master. He's still being reincarnated today, they say. Jamgon Control. His Chokshak Shi, his four great leaving it as it is, his four Chokshak, his four supreme restings, his four great floppings and droppings, his four Chokshak. Chokshak Shi. Chok, supreme, shock, resting. So I like to call it the four, leaving it as it is is, Or four great dropping and flopping. I like droppings better. Four great droppings. That's more amusing. More pungent. More fertile, perhaps. First, the view. Like a mountain. Leave it as it is. I made a mistake already. The view like the sky. I hope you're translating Christopher into properness proper English <laughs> the view like the sky leave it as it is vast open luminous with room for everything room for clouds room for rain room for mist room for planets asteroids and other things like space the view like the sky without center or corners formless shapeless yet very definite View, open, aware, lucid, senseless openness like the sky. Leave it as it is. Second, choke shock. The meditation, like a mountain, leave it as it is. No matter what falls on it or grows on it, leave it as it is. Like a pyramid, like a mountain, centered, enormous. Like the ground, not the figures that appear in it. Like a mountain, leave it as it is. View, meditation, and activity or action. Inexhaustible as the ocean's waves, leave it as it is, without leaving its bed. The ocean's waves respond to conditions like winds and earthquakes, but it never leaves its bed. Leave it as it is. View, meditation, and action of the great perfection. Or action like reflections in a mirror, leave it as it is. Or magician or child of illusion, as Jigma Lingpa says, leave it as it is. The action, like a magician, playing with karmic phenomena, being master of illusion rather than victim of illusions, pray to illusion, leave it as it is. As needed, as responsive, not just reactive, but responsive, proactive mood activity, The action, conduct, not reactive, karmic, egotistic self-ish activity. So again, here we see the principles of natural, spontaneous, flow, and so forth. At work, the view, like the sky... The meditation, like the mountain, and the action, like the ocean's waves, or like reflections in a mirror, or like the magician, or child of illusion. The magician, I think, is a good example playing with manifesting the magic acts, but not getting taken in by them. So as we're practicing sky-gazing, we're practicing natural meditation, zogchen meditation in the form of sky-gazing, Lucid, senseless openness, open awareness, however you want to call it, naked awareness practice, Rigpa practice, awaring, awakeful, natural meditation, organic awareness, not fabricated, not visualizing, not radiating light rays, not praying for world peace, not purifying, not healing, not chanting, just... Awareness alone, naked awareness, leave it as it is, like the sky, with room for everything, the bigger picture, the big frame, inclusive, all-inclusive, integral, integrated with everything, room for everything. And the meditation, like a mountain, imperturbable, unshakable, no matter what grows on it or falls on it. And the action inexhaustible, responsiveness, compassion and activity as needed, as wanted, not from your compulsive needs, your, your compulsive side, not driven, responsive. For example, Buddhas, compassion is in response to beings, no beings, no Buddhas. Without water, no ice, etc. Like Buddhas and beings, water and ice, as the Zen Song says. The view, the glimpse, your highest intuition, prajna, jnana in Sanskrit, lightning bolt, awareness. The view, the glimpse, the meditation, maturing that, getting used to it, checking it out, seeing if there's anything else greater or deeper or behind it all running the show. God, goddess, local spirits, mountains, the sun, who knows what. People have a lot of um, theos, deities, idols, whatever you want to call them. One man's science is another man's superstition or religion. Meditation, getting used to to the view as it is. This great subjectivity, mystery, and yet just um, we have our own truth, our own glimpse, our own intuition to trust and rely and That's really what we can go on. We are guided by the light, whether you think it's the divine light or, you know, like they say, you have to rely on your own light, the inner light. That's fine because there's really no separation between outer and inner. The macrocosm and the microcosm reflect each other as above, so below, as ancient wisdom tells us. The meditation. Getting used to it. Checking it out. Is there anything else? Maturing. Glimpse, maturation, and third, stabilizing it. unshakable, irreversible, awakefulness, or enlightenment. Stabilization. Glimpse, maturation, and stabilization. That's the three points of Dzogchen teaching and practice. View, meditation, and action. Glimpse, maturation, and stabilization. That's how Dzogchen is always explained, that's the general schema. And the result, the natural great perfection, view, meditation, action, and result, really three in one. Because the view is Rigpa, the great perfection. The meditation is Rigpa practice, exercising Rigpa. And the result is stabilizing it or realizing it completely. Rigpa. Awareness, with a capital A, or Presence, with a capital P, as Namkai Norbu J translates it, or Buddha Mind. So any questions, please? These three great leave-it-as-it-is-is, the Chokshakshi, <laughs> these four great leave-it-as-it-is-is, what did I do? I came up with three? What was the fourth one? I, I don't know. Yeah, the result, leave it to hell the way it is. (laughs) The moral of the story is leave it as it is, however many there are. One or many. Ain't that the point? Leave it as it is. Including your impulses to help or to move, leave it as it is. Why inhibit them? Any questions, please?
0: Uh, Lama, I I was going to ask a question about the fourth result, Rigpa. Um, it is the four great droppings. That's what you had said. It's all
2: three or four. It is four in the traditional. Yes, it is four. And um, it's but they're four and one. You know, like three and one oil, so like the triple gem, also known as the three jewels, the triple gem, three and one, so four and one. But go on with your. So what?
0: So, well, so the the what came up in looking at that was um, a question about rigpa existing outside of these three steps leading to the result that it can't exist outside of the...
2: Each one is Rigpa, as I said. The view is Rigpa, the meditation is exercising Rigpa, the result is stabilizing Rigpa. Let's use an easier analogy, muscles. You have muscles, you recognize, you know, a trainer introduces you to the fact that you have muscles, you don't go to the trainer or the club and get muscles. Oh, I have muscles. Who knew? But they're all flabby, so you exercise them, and then they get firm. And then you're muscular. You can use them or whatever. You're in shape. So are there any muscles outside of that? So now let's talk about Rigpa. This innate wakefulness or Buddha mind. Awareness, if you insist. Presence, as Nam Khenurva calls it. So the view is a glimpse of or, or or introduction to or recognizing that Rigpa. everything is, I don't know, what would the word be? Rigpa? Conscient, uh, you know, aware, I don't know. You see, when you start to talk about it, it's, it's, a, it's very slippery. Yeah, everything is Rigpa and it's display, so the view is Rigpa, the meditation is exercising Rigpa, and the result is stabilizing Rigpa. Or, you know, nowhere further to go, so then there's four stages of realization. Manifesting it in reality. This is high Chen talk. Four stages. Trinigunsa. Manifesting the Dharmakaya in reality. Trinigunsa. Namangampal. The experiences fulfilling themselves. This is ascending order or deepening, progressive. Shining on some yamangompel, awareness culminating as awareness, like the culmination of awareness or the peak or something, and fourth, everything resolved in the dharma dhatu. So even in rigpa, there's still not, you know there are four levels of vidyadharas or rigpa wielders, holders. Just to say that it's all about awareness, rigpa. Like with the muscles. Analogy. Not that that's the best analogy, but it's not bad. Okay? When Rigpa is translated as awareness, we have an anthropocentric view of that, and we want to know who is aware, what is aware, and et cetera, do animals have awareness, et cetera. That's why um, Norbu calls it presence, because it's a little deeper than consciousness. We think awareness is conscious. What about the unconscious? If you're in a coma, there's still Rigpa, so it's not consciousness if you see what I'm saying. So it's very difficult to translate some of these words or even even to put in, in, in a language at all. Rikpa is still a translation of of a, an ideal. You know, it's it's a weak translation of an ideal, just to put it it's like call saying God is a that's why, you know, I mentioned earlier in the week certain religionists are prohibited from saying God or writing God's name. It's considered a blasphemy because you're you're limiting it to write it or to think it or to say it and to codify it and put it in any form as opposed to any other form. So Ram Das brilliantly, wittily said, and he even made a poster out of this one year, I think it was like in the 1980s, the best form in which to worship God is every form. And then there was a picture of his guru's happy, smiling face with his one famous one-finger mudra. It's all one. Sabak. Well, one so i looked at that poster and i said "Mm, that's really nice yes but that's so much ramdas's trip what do you mean the, the the best way the best form is every form some people the best form is one form for them like jesus is the only way for them see what i'm saying so formlessness is just one other form if you see what i'm saying okay So even calling it Rigpa, you know, Rigpa's not a thing, and yet it's everything. So it's not like introduction to Rigpa is, you know, like in the kitty reading books. See Rigpa run, there's Rigpa, you know, spot, there's Rigpa, Rigpa run. (laughs) No. Well, maybe it is sort of like that, actually. Yes, my next book, <laughs> C. Prabhupada <McPurman. laughs> by Spot, Mary, and Jane, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> what? <laughs> Questions? Serious? don't let me waste your time, please.
3: So, Lamister, I've been reading this book of the teachings of Aro Yeshe Jungne by the Sirius. two Kenpo brothers. Serious. Serious? Go on. Um, I see
2: a serious question here. Just
3: as it, yeah, it, the, so, one of the questions that they ask you to look at is, you know, where is your mind? Where is mm-hmm. it? Yes. So when I when I'm sitting and I ask myself that question, just as a way to bring back my focus and not be lost in thoughts, what comes up is that I get stuck with it. Behind my eyes, somewhere that yes. my mind is behind my eyes. Yes, that it's in in this globe up here someplace. In your wig? But I know, <laughs> but I know that, or it, it's like okay. Well, if you had your eyes poked out, there'd still be a rigpa. It wouldn't just be in your know. eyes That's or behind a, it's your eyes. I don't know. That's a question. Eyes.
1: It's so, a question. So
3: wh- how do you get past that thing that it's? Somehow to do with your brain and your eyes and your senses.
2: What, what do you do with that? I don't know. Almost most of us, especially Westerners, have not yet gotten past that as a society. The neuroscientists and our know, just whole way of thinking. When we say I, we point here, you know. The Asian, the Asian points here. I'm not saying it's here either, but you know, where is consciousness is an, an age old question, just like where is God? What is God? Age old question, and maybe very uh, related question. So, how do we do you get have any past clues? it? To, sure. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So that's why we have, like, turn back and look, you know. But even this is suggesting look sounds like the eyes, doesn't it? But, you know, intuit directly who or what is experiencing, not who or what is seeing with the eyes, but who or what is experiencing, perceiving, aware. Who or what is trying to control your thoughts is not your eyes. Right? But now let's talk about from another point of view. Many, um, just in general, people, knowledgeable people, scientists even, would say, probably correctly, I'm, I'm just saying, people say that the eyes in humans are the predominant sense. That it's worse to be blind than to be deaf, for example. That's not true about uh, some other animals, right? Like for bats, maybe the ears are. I don't know, I'm just you know, freewheeling here. Maybe for dogs the nose are. So anyway, so I asked some neuroscientists about this, just in the point of science and research and you know, inner imaging and pictures and fMRIs and what they see and what they know. And they were saying, Oh, that's so interesting, you know, because yeah, hmm. Yeah, the optic nerve is the most directly correct connected to the cerebellum in humans. And our whole development up here with the pre- frontal cortex, and all that, and thought, and self-consciousness, which the, quote, lower animals, just using their language, don't have so much. So no wonder why we're so visual. And it's so important to us. And most of our thinking and imagery has to do with seeing and light and brilliance and God is light and brilliance and shiny and visual and, you know what I'm saying? So I went a little further. I said, so in, in our tradition, the way we meditate is uh, not just with our eyes open, not just closed, also open, but also you can see certain things. I don't mean visualize, you know, like rainbow colors or have certain visions, yes, tiglies and so on. And what did they think about that? And they said, oh, that's very interesting because they went back to the optic nerve being cl- connected to the cerebellum. And, you know, I kind of um, couldn't pursue it much further, but I think the point is that we are very head and eye and head, that I say head yet, centered, as you know, humans, and even more so, modern, rational, postmodern and people, not just Westerners, right? You know, literate, you know, modern people more than um, pre-modern people who were more with their hands and bodies and, yes, and instincts and so on. So this naturally, we think it's up here. And we look at the world, we think, from up here. Of course, our eyes are here, but we have so many other senses, right? And some people, as uh, everyone knows, live more from their heart. I don't even mean heart organ, but they seem to be more soulful or heartful rather than intellectual living in our heads. So it's very hard to overcome this living in our head education and conditioning that we have for several reasons. That's why I really find, <laughs> maybe believe or found from experience, that like the self-inquiry, who, what is experiencing, the introspective, the, the backward turning, the backward step, looking at the subject rather than the objects can help us with that. And again, we're stuck with the language, so not just looking with our eyes, so that we start to, f- hmm? perceiving, Perceiving, inquiring. Penetrating, not just looking with our eyes. Searching, not just sort of looking with our eyes. And so that's one way. And another way is, and um, this often comes in the rushan teachings of Dzogchen, but it comes in Mahamudra also, Looking into uh, one of the first questions is, Where is your, the mind? Meaning your mind, but you know, where is the mind? Because this is again Buddhist talks, not all about you and ego and oneself, but where is the mind? So, where is your mind? And you're supposed to meditate on that and also think about it and sort of look for it. You're supposed to look for it. So, there's a Tibetan story about this. Somebody, let's say a monk, okay, a monk got this. Chen teaching, finally, after being a monk for 10 or 20 years. And he couldn't find the, the mind, so he brought a stone from the river and he gave it to the master. He said, this is the mind. And the master said, you have to go and do uh, uh, more prostrations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if you, can't, if you can't do your own therapy, you have to take a pill. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? You have to go back and start more simple. Maybe you're not ready for this level of self inquiry. Go and do, you collect some merits, do prostrations, take refuge, purify, you know, the gradual path. So when we look into what is the mind, then the next question is this is a whole practice. You know, what shape is it? What color is it? What, what weight is it? Meaning like heavy or light or big or small. And then you start to break down this way of thinking. And then where is it, you know, again, you come back to. Is it here? Is it here? Where is consciousness? Where is the ego? And so you start to break down this um, point of reference that we seem stuck with. That's what you're asking about, really, up here. And then you can relax about that also, because just because you have a point of reference doesn't mean it's bad. You have to have some point of reference to think or to be. See what I'm saying? So then you come back to, as I always say, rest in the natural state or whatever state you think you're in. That will do. (laughs) That's as natural as you got. That will have to do. (laughs) So you come back to whatever perspective you have and you keep looking, but not just with the eyes because you're getting deeper. Intuiting, sensing, feeling, you know, beyond wordsing, knowing, trusting, doubting, not just looking. Thank you, Lama. Okay, so part of it is deconstructing the notion of thing. The mind is a thing, and size and place. And once you know, if you don't have a size and a place, then how is my mind different than your mind? And other questions might come up. And how is your mind? Is your mind different than Buddha mind? Or for the matter of your pets, quote mind, or heart mind, all of that. So I hope that's helpful. Interestingly, just almost as a as a non sequitur, um, when you practice Togel, the visionary practice, because we're so eye-centric uh, or optic nerve appearance, Tibetan Buddhism is very visionary in this way and uses it. The result is not having more visions, which would seem like seeing things, but the rainbow body, which is more like total interpenetrativeness. So you see how it kind of dissolves the notion of eye appear, head or body, or eyes or nose or ears or senses or outer or inner. Rainbow body, like your whole being is more like a rainbow rather than you have a lot of IQ, but you don't have much physical intelligence or somatic intelligence or other distinctions of sort of a lower order of evolution. See what I'm saying? Like you get to the energy level, like what is energy, where is energy? How much energy can you use? Just yours or can you, you know, access the infinite, the cosmic energy, the cosmic mind, if you must use that word? So um, one of my friends, he actually, uh, my first Dzogchen master was Kanjur Rinpoche, who died in Darjeeling in 1975. He was Dujim Rinpoche's Dharma brother, Guru brother in, um, in, in Tibet. And Matthew Ricard was also his disciple, and we were in Darjeeling at the same time, the monk Matthew Ricard. who translates to the Dalai Lama and writes books like, something, what is happiness, and he's a wonderful Lama, Mathieu. And Matthew's friend, this French guy, he, he came, he was a little older than us in 1972 when I met him, so he must have come in 70 or 71, he was a little older, and he was, he was a smart guy, he was a journalist, he helped introduce Tibetan Buddhism to Europe, Arnaud Desjardins, he made a movie called The Message of the Tibetans. That's, you know, in the 70s, it helped introduce, or 60s, introduced Buddhism in Europe. And so he was a smart guy. He obviously had some past karma of some kind. So, you know, as the story goes, I mean, it's a true story, but I don't know how many chapters it really had before it gets to the telling of the point. So what happened was the master, the old master, said to him, to a translator, probably Matthew, said to him, what shape is your mind? Well, what shape is the mind? And Arno Desjardins, he said he had one flicker of wondering about that, and then his mind just exploded. Like he just, you know, like in the Zen story, the the moon was reflected in the water in the bucket, and then the bottom of the bucket fell out. No water, no moon. Big emptiness. His mind just fell out of his head, or something. I mean, he was still talking to me, so his brain was still there. But it was like, no water, no reflection of the moon, no nothing. You know? Who needs a bucket when you're not carrying water, moon, and every doll's burden of life? So, you know, that was the question. What shape is your mind? So you're asking where it is? These are related, and this is a practice to you can work on if you, you know, if that works for you. There's no point in sitting there just thinking forever about these things because you have to think about it like in a Zen koan. You think about it till you can't think anymore, and then you go on chewing on it till your teeth fall out, and then you keep chewing till your jaws fall out. You keep chewing till your head falls out, and then I don't know. Maybe something happens. I don't know what what happens after that. You keep chewing on the void, or something. Questions? Yes, Judy.
0: Okay. Um, so my question is about thoughts and thinking, and you know the distinction between
4: when you're suppressing a thought and when you're letting it go. And and I guess the question is about like as the thought is manifesting in your head, and you can kind of tell that it's coming. And then you you let it go then. Is that suppressing it or is that letting it go? Or do you need to like let it manifest more before it's letting, letting go?
2: Letting go means letting things come and go, letting be. So you have to ask yourself in experience as it's happening, look and see what your intention is or motivation. Are you trying to get rid of it or are you just enjoying the show? You know what I'm saying? Are you enjoying the rising and falling, or are you trying to, you know, iron out the waves? Because the flat ocean mm-hmm. uh, is your idea of, you know, better weather or better ocean. Okay. Um, just like in the cartoon you gave me yesterday, which I was going to put on the board, but. Um, since we're alone here, I'll, tell, I'll give you my, my criticism of your, of your uh, very amusing cartoon. Judy drew a really amusing cartoon, and she's so good at this that I, I said, oh, I have lots of caption ideas, but I can't draw. I should give them to you. <laughs> so there's a box, and then there's like, I don't know, you know, worse than, what's that artist's name? Pollock. Worse than Jackson Pollock, thank you. Squiggles, but it's black line drawings. It's just like, you know, cloudy, messy, crappy, static. And it says something like, what's the first thing? The mind. This, this, is, your mind. this is your mind. And the second box is totally clear. It says, this is this is your mind on Zogchen. <laughs> but then I thought, that's tending a little to getting rid of. So, maybe it's a much bigger box, and then there's just a little dot, and that little, all that squiggles is just a tiny part, which doesn't even look like a Jackson Pollock. It just looks like a one point. Or another way, these are just my, it's kind of like I'm sending it back to you, you know? With, with corrections. Dharma combat. Yeah, I'm a teacher <laughs> with corrections in red pencil.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> or another thought I had was, um, you know, first is, this is your mind, all that staticky thing, like in a cartoon. And then the other one, this is your mind on Dzogchen, would just be like one, I was going to say, transparent eyeball, but I can't draw an eyeball. And then I thought maybe it's just like a dot, 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 circle eye of awareness. Not mm-hmm. just empty. Remember the sunlit space of the room, not just the empty room right. that the Master said. So uh, look into, in your question, in your practice, what mm-hmm. you were asking just now. Okay. If you're that sharp and present to see, feel, know, perceive, aware of something arising, a thought, a feeling, a percent, anything, an arising in technical talk, mm-hmm. an arising, right. that's really the moment of either bondage or freedom. They call that the crossroads between samsara and nirvana. Remember looking, seeing, allowing. Mm-hmm. Or more broadly, experiencing, recognizing, or penetrating, and releasing. So in that moment, if you recognize the arising, and then there's room f- to allow it to come and go as long as it takes. Not to hurry it along, and not to try to trim it back. Okay. Or stuff it back, or whatever image you like. Okay? Yep. So the recognizing, the seeing through... You know, you see, you see the Halloween. You see the thing, the cost. You see the thing, the skeleton, the witch, the scare monster. And then you recognize, and then the the fear is gone. You have that first moment, and then you recognize, and then there's no fear. It's kind of three in one, but it's a little sequential. But it's almost instantaneous, three in, moments in one. But mind moments are very fast. Buddha said there were six six million four hundred thousand. Mind moments in every um, second. I don't know how he figured that out without without computers. But interestingly, modern science has come to very similar conclusions if you look into their way of talking about seconds and thoughts and gaps between thoughts and modern science's way of measuring things. They also came up with a number that's about 6 million in one second. So then you go back to... Holy crap, Buddha must have had an awesome computer between his ears, wherever it is. Buddha mind must be, you know, he had an awesome computer, let's just leave it there. (laughs) Under the tree there. (laughs) Last question. Anybody? Yes. Bear. Who haven't we heard from? Did you want to ask a question, dear? Yeah, but we've heard from him enough, more than enough. <laughs>
4: Thank you. Um, I I um, wanted to um, just add a little bit to um, the previous conversation before I ask my question. Okay. Um, when I was at uh, the Mind and Life Institute talk, um, and Dr. Wolf Singer did a presentation. Um, It reminded me what you were saying about about the dot, dot, dot around the eye. Um, Mm -hmm. He did an investigation where he was trying to find really uh, from a neurological perspective where the mind sat. And what the conclusion was that he came to was that it was basically a link, so it wasn't a a place or a thing, it was It was like all these different connections that lit up, so it was kind of like there's an illusion of it being one thing, just like a neon sign looks like it's one thing, but it's all these right. things being lit in sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I find that that um, that's a good imagery image. kind of helps me, yeah, yeah thank right. you. Um, so
2: Th- Thank you, go slow so we can think about that, that's a very good image.
4: Um, my question is really about um, working with the eyes because I'm more familiar with working with my eyes closed. Uh huh. And.
2: You mean in meditation? In meditation. Meditating with your eyes closed?
4: That's right. Actually, um, I'm a physiotherapist and I do a lot of my work with my eyes closed, so I'm doing a lot of sensing and feeling. So it's like I'm trying to, you know block out that sense and pay attention to other ones. So mm-hmm. um, so yep. I'm struggling with this a little bit. And I'm kind of caught, I think, in this place of kind of trying, and I, I, I can't seem to kind of let go of the trying and the trying to grasp yes, hope Yes, it's very challenging, yeah. yes. So,
2: oh, right. None of us can. That's why I bring up these 20, and sometimes there's 22, and sometimes there's 24. But you can add your own... It's it's a, you know it's challenging, but that's what we're working with. Just to see how challenging it is, why it's challenging, what the alternatives are. This constant striving and struggling and seeking and effort and trying to do better. Sometimes and how we... that contributes to how dissatisfied and stressed and tired and tense and maybe even you know other sicknesses or illnesses we develop, how it's related and how we can loosen that a little constant effort and trying and... I don't know. Are you used to meditating? You I said you usually meditate with your eyes closed. Not, I'm not talking about when you're doing your physiotherapy.
4: Um, Are you used yeah, to meditating? I, med- I meditate, yeah, yeah, for a lot of years. In
2: what yeah. tradition? Uh, Theravadin. So you do, let's say, Vipassana or something with your eyes closed?
4: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I don't often, really believe you, but I'm listening. You don't believe
2: I you. always tell this to Vipassana people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they always say Vipassana we do it with our eyes closed. Why do you meditate? You know, it's hard to meditate with your eyes open.
4: Um, you mean why why is it hard for me to meditate no, with No, I,
2: I don't really believe that you all do vipassana with your eyes closed.
4: Oh. Okay.
2: And that you don't you do walking meditation with your eyes open?
3: That's correct.
4: Okay. Yeah.
2: Thank you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but you can't do it sitting. I see. Well, I've been trying actually because um, my
2: He has
4: been trying to get me to do this because he's been to your retreat and so has my son, other son. I see. And so yeah, I, well, I've been trying, but it just doesn't, I don't
2: know. It's terrible. It's terrible trying to share the, the Dharma. <laughs> let's, just, let's just forget it. <laughs> That brings all kinds of other problems. <laughs> What'd you say? He he's trying to get you to meditate with eyes open? Is that Well, what you're I
4: keep I, I I've been playing with it, I guess, is what I would say. But so I've been really um, putting forth a lot of effort in in you know, the past few days trying to do sure. this. And that's, that's where I'm good. kind of going into this effort.
2: Yeah, I'm and, trying to, if you noticed. Yeah. We work hard at this. But there's a spirit of lightness about it also, about, you know, balancing it with the joy and the non-doing and interest, curiosity. You know, a lot of energy, you know, is raised when the, when you're interested in something, what Buddha called the interest factor, being interested. Then you naturally pay attention and you're curious or interested in investigating and questioning. So, of course, we're trying and it is hard to not try, so that's why I'm I'm playing the edge of that. Like now, the meditation's over; you could stop meditating, and then, you know, just be present. It's exact, be pre. It's the exact same instruction as during the meditation, <laughs> which is the point. So when do I stop being present? Oh, why would I? You see, and so forth, carried into life with eyes open, or not trying to meditate, but still mindful, not mindless. Anyway, um, have you tried with your eyes closed here, or or in your room, or, you know, in the dark? With your eyes open in the dark is a good way to get used Um, to eyes open, meditating?
4: I have tried with my eyes closed a couple of times, just sort of to give myself a little bit of a break, because it's familiar.
2: Yes, good. So how does that go?
4: Um, It's been interesting, actually. uh, there's a, it seems to be a fair amount of uh, like it's like delusion, like a storyline starts up as soon as I close my eyes.
2: No, how so. could that be? <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and,
4: and more than I usually.
2: Well, knows. isn't that interesting? Yeah. So perhaps, open eyes, the story that's presenting itself is filling that space of the of the blank box of the mind. And when you uh, close your eyes, then, you know, your karmic, your, you know, other fabrications need to fill that space, because you're used to filling that space. You with me? When you have your eyes open, there's something there. So, you know, there's filling that empty space. But when your eyes are closed, maybe then your stories are more um, prominent on the front burner of your awareness. And... You know, when you have your eyes open, those stories are more in the back burner because this is in the front burner of your awareness. You know, that or, I don't know, Drew's big head stuck right in front of your your eyes or whatever. His ears moving. I don't know what he does over there.
4: He's pretty still, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
2: He's a good meditator. So it's good to experiment with eyes open and eyes closed and outside and inside and light and dark. Because it's the awareness we're trying to exercise, remember, and and get to know ourselves better and what works and how to work it. and Those are the muscles that we're exercising. So in different exercises, you get slightly different perspectives or results. Because it really doesn't matter if you have your eyes open. That's why I was joking the other day, but what about your ears? If you want to close off your visual sense gate, what about your oral auditory sense gate? Something might sneak in there and distract you. What about your nostrils? You might smell something and get distracted, and so on. What about your body? You might feel something, so do you have to numb out, too? So um, this is very integrated to practice with our eyes open, and we can do it more in life. But uh, really, it's about the awareness. Uh, you, know, you could be blind, or what, what did somebody over here say? Pluck out your, if you're in the eye plucking out tradition, you could still meditate. Because you don't meditate with your eyes or your legs. You meditate with your mind, right? Your consciousness, your awareness. So it doesn't really matter if your eyes are closed or open. So please experiment and see what works for you. Uh, I would recommend you try with your eyes open here, since you just gave a a good reason to, which is that the inner stories seem to flare up when you close
4: your eyes. Um, The stories, just for some reason, the stories that come up are fictional. Like they're not, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like a screenplay or something that I'm writing. It's, anyway, <laughs>
0: it's probably Fiction. irrelevant,
2: but yes. No, no, fictional as opposed to what? <laughs> you mean like the lies you tell your psychoanalyst instead of telling the truth? You know, and the analyst, says, it doesn't matter what you say. It's still coming from the same, you know, box.
4: I, I guess it just seems yours. clearly <laughs> delusional. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, Thank you. the, you're welcome. There's a whole anthology from Wisdom Publications, it's pretty good, called Buddhist Fiction, of different writers and their, you know, writings. And, but um, in my introduction to the book, I said it, everything is Buddhist fiction. That's my way of thinking. And, you know, without the emphasis on Buddhists, some people, some wives, guys uh, and girls even say history is not non-fiction. Again, back to subjectivity, who writes it, why, and so forth. These days, I think, wasn't it Oprah that had a big problem with this? Even autobiography has become fiction, so it's not non-fiction. But that's, it's always been the case. We just weren't that aware of this kind of thing.
1: Thank you for listening to Lama Das's Awakening Now Hour. We very much appreciate your support and hope you will continue by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash Suryadas and link to the donate button or go to the Amazon.com link for all of your purchases. Namaste <laughs>
0: It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash